will find you. And I will kill you. Yeah. I am the walrus. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> Aren't you? Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? Hell no! Just been revoked. Open the pod bay doors, huh? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Because it is my name! I see Dave. Today, Junior? Ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Like scary. Uh huh. What's your favorite scary? The price is wrong, bitch. not cynics the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic in this week's episode of the podcast we are discussing the movie sightless now streaming on netflix and finally after a little bit of time off i'm rejoined by my co-host pat how's it going pat it's going it's a little bit of time sometimes you need a few weeks to we couldn't get you to watch one division at all so what's that oh come on now Five across the eyes. You going to join us for Falcon and Winter Soldier? Who are they? Oh come on! Is that the new DC show? Mm. <laughs> Banned forever from the from the podcast. Uh, but no, it's good to have you back. Uh, you know, it, with all three of us, uh, it's you know kind of hard to do schedules of all the time being able one hundred percent to record all together. And Leslie's got her podcast and. Uh, I know she she and I will be doing the Falcon and Winter Soldier reviews here starting, I believe, next week. But we also have to figure out how we're going to fit in our Snyder Cut review, since that's also next week. What day of the week are they letting those? Uh, Falcon and Winter air? Soldier? Yeah. It's Friday, and uh, Snyder Cut starts Thursday night. Or, well, Thursday. I'll be watching it Thursday after work, so... I will probably be doing the same. <laughs> um, well, hopefully, I was trying to do a viewing party with you, but we'll, I don't know what your schedule is like, so we'll have to. Do you take off Friday? I have Friday off, uh, and then plans kind of later in the evening. But I, you usually work in the evening, so I got I got a test Thursday. Okay, good after. Perfect. Um, all right, so be looking forward to those reviews uh, coming out here soon. And uh, apologies if anything sounds a little bit different or a little bit lower. Uh, we got new equipment, finally a new mic. Uh, I'm very pleased with this mic. Currently, right now, it looks like it's a little low, but I 
played back in testing and it sounded actually pretty fine before so we'll see what happens here and we do have a soundboard uh now but uh we'll have to take some time kind of digging in and figuring out the settings and everything like that so uh, finally upgrading stuff and, and pretty soon we'll have the website launched and, uh, get working on the YouTube side of things, uh, eventually here. So, um, yeah, to now to get to the movie, um, we, we watched Sightless. It's a movie from 2020. It's another Mar Vista, um, production, which kind of surprised me because this one was more higher end than the last two I've watched, which was No Escape Room, uh, and... Uh, House of the Witch and House of the Witch we covered in our last uh, get together. So uh, it's definitely a step up in production value and acting quality and stuff like that. So I, I maybe they don't have a, a contract with sci-fi. Maybe they just did some low budget movies, just uh, side projects. I, I don't know, but uh, I'm, this is the third in, in a row that I've actually enjoyed. This one's obviously much better than the other two uh, because there's, a lot more effort behind it and better actors. In fact, the main actress, I didn't recognize her until I looked her up on IMDb, but it is the actress who plays Cheryl Blossom on Riverdale. And she looks almost completely different. I think it's, it's more the, uh, the fact that she's not super made up, like she's made up in Riverdale because she's supposed to be, you know, the hot fire, hot chick in, in high school and stuff. So, uh, it was a little bit of adjustment, uh, to know that was the same actress, but, uh, we'll give you the premise here, and then we'll play the trailer, and then we'll talk about the movie. So, the premise is, after an attack renders her blind, Ellen Ashland withdraws from the world to recover, but soon she plunges into paranoia, unable to convince anyone that her assailant has returned to terrorize her by hiding in plain sight. Uh, so with that, we'll play the trailer for you. <laughs> that you were exposed to left your optic nerve intact but seared and i'm so sorry to say this uh, but the damage is irreversible in your virgin state of being sightless perception won't always be reality what color is she baby blue let yourself adjust to your new world i graduated top of my nursing class i'm the ferrari of personal care your eyes will never be what they were but once the rest of you heals you won't need them to the trailer um and just for fair warning we will have a spoiler section to the review because there's things we want to talk about but 
uh, we don't want to ruin any, you know, perception of the film, and that's almost literal uh, perception of the film, uh, because there's just some things in there that really are, are very interesting to talk about, but if we talk about them initially, it will ruin the rest of the movie. So uh, we'll announce that spoiler section when we get there. But to kind of start things off, Pat, what did you think of this? So I felt very early on, like, clearly there had to be some sort of conflict. So, like, something wasn't going to be right. And I think there's some very minor things early on that kind of, like, gave that away. But then you're kind of like, they, they did a good job of adjusting to that to make you think that everything was Right. So it kind of drug it on a little bit, kept you thinking, and it kind of kept you on your toes. And I liked that aspect of it. And the basically the entire movie, you are you're getting the perspective of it from what she thinks is going on because she can't see. Right. Which I, it's a very interesting concept. It's something that I haven't really seen in a movie before. Um, Maybe one other time, can't really think of what it was, but it it's something new, it's something different, and it kind of keeps you keeps you going, keeps you thinking. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the opening scene in of itself, and this isn't any spoilers because it's literally the first like five seconds of the movie, is you see her basically work her way to her balcony and jump off. And then it jumps back to her waking up in the hospital after the initial attack and going back like maybe a month or a a couple weeks before uh, her jumping off. And so it's like gives you this nice hook of, okay, what is going to draw her to take that action? Because it's a very drastic action to take. And so the rest of the movie then kind of sets you up for everything else and when you get to that moment, you're like, oh, okay, this makes sense. But then there are other things that happen after that moment. So uh, it's it's definitely, like you said, it's it's the perception thing is, is really cool. And I think that this has been sort of done before in, in the sense of dealing with a, a character with a dis, uh, disability. Um, there's an Audrey Hepburn one that I cannot quite think the name of the film where she's blind uh, and and someone is intruding on her house. There's the movie Mischief Night, which I'm a huge fan of, which deals with a young blind girl uh, being kind of stalked in her house by these killers. And uh, then there's Hush, which deals with the the woman who's deaf. That's the that's one that I'm kind of thinking of. And yeah. The other the other one that I was very loosely thinking of was the one where the kids go to rob the blind guy's house. Oh, yeah. uh, don't breathe. Yeah. yeah, that being kind of the inverse, like we're seeing it from their perspective of break, breaking into a blind man's house. So yeah, it's it's certainly like not necessarily a fresh subgenre of horror or anything. Or well, this is more thriller, and I would say some more of those other movies are more thrillers than straight out horror. Uh, but this one plays with the ideas a lot more, and they do it in a very interesting fashion. And you do get kind of breadcrumbs, like when he buys her the bird. And uh, tells her the color of the bird, and then she ends up uh, basically attributing to it a different color, and then she sees it as that color. Um, One other thing was, like, I knew I'd recognized her uh, attendant from something before. He's not been in much, but he was in Under the Dome, and he played such a 
horrible character in that show. So it was like really hard to kind of see him in this kind, generous, uh, caregiving state uh, in this movie. And I, I like how the mystery unfolds. Some people might think it's a little bit slower paced, especially probably for the first 45 minutes uh, of the film, because a lot of it is her adjusting to her handicap and then her starting starting to think things are happening or hearing things. Or um, at one point, I even thought there was probably a supernatural element, like she's hearing the vent and she sees the girl crying and then the girl disappears. But that was just more of her kind of analyzing it from the other side of the wall that she's hearing these cries through the other side of the vent. And then so supernatural stuff is definitely not in play in here. Um, but it, you know, when she starts questioning what's going on and when you're, when you do not have your eyesight, it's, I can't imagine like how difficult it is for someone to try to perceive the world around them. Um, I mean, we rely so much on sight. It's like if, if any sense that I would maybe be okay losing hearing might be, um, the one I'm okay with, I, because like I, I'm a visual person, I'm a visual learner. Uh, I like seeing things like obviously, you know, reading comic books and books in of themselves that like hearing is probably the one I can get it, be fine with. But then, also, there's things I like listening to, music, podcasts, video game, uh, you know, video game music and stuff like that. So it, it's a really kind of a, a tough flip of the coin. And so with the sight being the primary factor here, it's like it, it's got to be very difficult. And you see her frustration. It's not an easy adjustment period. And you can, you know, give all the credit to her caretaker because he's very patient with her. Like he doesn't have outbursts and you know, he's just trying to help. And then every time where she's kind of being a little ungrateful uh, or destructive, like he's kind of there as that rock for her. Um, now, again, like that's kind of the first 45 minutes. There's a tonal shift, obviously, uh, after that halfway mark. And that's really where people who might think it's a slower movie might kind of finally be picking it up more because then it starts moving. It starts picking up the pace the action kind of amps up to 11. Um, and then you get all of kind of the, the revelations of everything that's going on. So I have to really, really applaud uh, the movie for that. And like the thing is, I, I don't want this to be a short episode because we're only covering one movie this week. But without kind of now just jumping straight into spoilers, I'm not sure what else I have to say. The act, actor and actress, actress were great. Um you know, you got one, something? Yeah. So the one thing that I thought was really well done was kind of like the effects of her, like, perceiving the world as one way. And then they would kind of like, as she's like feeling and moving around, like, it'll adapt and like change immediately. M much like in the sense of, uh, was it when she thinks that the, the wife uh, next door is at the door and mm -hmm. then all of a sudden she realizes it's the man, the husband, um, the one that she's really terrified of. And then, so it shifts and it changes that person. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And they, like, it's so quick and well yeah. done. Like it makes it feel natural. It keeps it moving. And you're like, 
it kind of keeps you on your toes again. You're like, ah, oh, shit. Like, I don't, like, you don't know what's going on then. Yeah, because there's even the uh, the instance with the attacker, and she's, uh, when he attacks her in the apartment, because, um, like, she thinks that it's it's the caretaker, um, and then all of a sudden she realizes that she can hear the breathing of the mask, and then all of a sudden in her mind, and what we see on the screen, it's changed into the attacker that we see in the flashback. So, yeah, it, it is it is very, very well done in that aspect. And, and I'd say that would probably be the first the first time where I was like, okay, this is where I'm kind of trying to, or kind of feeling like this is how things aren't right, because she was very clearly attacked by yeah. something, and... Like you said, you thought there might have been a supernatural element. Maybe she was like losing, like losing her mind a little. But I was more on the side of like, okay, maybe she really was attacked and something well, and and uh, and like the the really kind of clever twist that they do with that is after she's attacked. Well, the attack has left her with kind of a cut wrist. So when she's talking to paramedics and to the uh, police officer assigned to her case, they're led to believe maybe she was depressed and tried to commit suicide. Now she's trying to cover up, you know, like that she she attempted her on her life. And and the main part of that was she had bruising on her neck, but they were saying they couldn't see it yeah. right and yet she, she touching could feel it pain. Yeah, right like she clearly felt pain so i was like that's right that was where i was like okay she was attacked and so <laughs> that's and you know that's a good uh thing to bring up is that's a lot of that plays to the cinematography the way that the camera moves and, and it's shot and uh, how easily they transition those scenes between cuts and stuff that i i really have to applaud them because they they do such a good job with that and um i can't say much on the score because i I didn't leave much of an impression on me but i I did feel like any musical pieces that played during those kind of heightened moments uh uh, were fitting like that they they applied the right amount of dread inducing feeling and stuff like that um and music is actually a really key factor in this film she's a violinist uh she's very popular she's very famous um this does also try to put in a lot of red herrings which is very good for a thriller uh i think they relied on one particular red herring way too much and that being her ex-husband who is in jail for basically embezzlement of uh, investor funds you know basically took all these friends of hers money uh, and other people's money and tried to run away with it and got caught and so they they kind of come up with the theory, and she kind of thinks about this herself, uh, is that he is reaching out basically from prison to try to get her killed, uh, which doesn't really ever really fully plan out. It's a good enough red herring, but they fall back on it too much. Every time there's something that she wants explained, it seems to be passed off, well, your husband, your husband, your husband. Um, and then once they've overused that, they throw another red herring in there with a friend she can't get in touch with the entire movie, and that that starts raising her suspicion. So then it shifts again, and they start throwing the red herring onto that character. Um, and that's the other thing, too, is uh, this is a very minimalist film in the sense of there's like five or six actors through the entire film. Uh, and it's very small cast, very well done, um, 
I, I have to highly recommend it. I recommended it to my mom. She's not, you know, she's not a horror fan or anything like that, but I, I kind of, you know, sold it to her on it's more of a thriller, uh, suspense mystery. Um, it's definitely takes a little to unfold, uh, but it, it really does a good job with its material. And it certainly like left me, not left me, but like had, like you said, it was keeping me on my toes. It was making me constantly question what is actually going on, who is involved. Uh, I had initial suspicions of one person and then they kind of went away and then they came back and, you know, it just does a good job of kind of playing with those emotions, but at times will rely on some tropes way too hard. Um, is there anything else? Non-spoiler? Non-spoiler. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, tiptoeing on eggshells to make sure we're not revealing too much. So for the non-spoiler part, I think that's going to do it uh, for us. Uh, so if you don't want anything spoiled, hop off here. Go check it out on Netflix. Or uh, I know it is for rental on Vudu if you don't have Netflix. Uh, I'm sure it's on rental for Amazon. Uh, that's actually where I first saw it was on Vudu. I, I didn't watch the trailer, but I did kind of read a little bit of the synopsis. I'd heard kind of some, you know, rumblings on Twitter about the movie, but nothing, no, you know, with COVID and everything, it wasn't like this was one I'd heard and, you know, press was big and selling out theaters or, or coming out in big theatrical release. So um, when I saw it on Netflix, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it a watch now. And, so, you know, that way I'm not dropping any extra cash on it. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. If I like it, maybe I'll pick it up. And this one certainly I think is going to be on the pickup pile for me uh, at some point because I, I did really enjoy it that much. So go check it out. Uh, and if you're ready for spoilers – we're going to enter it right now. Okay. So, we find out by the end of the movie that the caretaker is actually the one who's responsible for everything. Um, now, you said you had initial suspicions uh, at the beginning or uh, relatively? Right, ar right around the attack. Okay. Because, like, that, that was... The main thing was she had bruising on her neck, and like they they didn't have a way to really explain that. Right. So I was like, she's not taking any like meds or anything. Well, like, she, she does have meds. But she has them, but she wasn't taking. Right. Them. So it's not like she was hallucinating or anything. Well, I mean, clearly. You can't <laughs> really. I mean, I I I don't know how that would work, but. Well, I mean. You're you're hallucinating, but you're not hallucinating. It's more you're imagining. Yeah, you're not. It's not visual. Right. Well, it's it's mentally visual in the sense of like you're creating the picture in your head. You know, you can't physically see, but your mind is interpreting uh, input and creating a picture for you in your mind. Because we all have that ability, like when you're reading a book, that you can create kind of the world that you're seeing from the words on the page. So. Yeah, and like that was where my it, that and the the other main thing was the cut on the wrist, where very clearly someone in this situation they would probably no doubt take her to some sort of facility to be right. like, re regardless of the situation, just to have some sort of medical. Just even like a twenty four or seventy two hour like observation. That, 
it was clear at that point that they needed her to be in this spot. Right. And she was never leaving the house. Like, the furthest she got was down the hallway. Right. So that was the main thing for me. Yeah, and that's kind of where everything, um, you know, comes out is uh, when you get revealed that everything we've seen visually from pretty much start to almost end is everything from her mind. Like, it, it is her perception of it. So once, once she discovers, basically by jumping out the window and realizing, oh, wait, <laughs> I'm not actually out, you know, outside and I'm not dead and I'm on padding, um, that she realizes that, you know, everything isn't as it seems. And then she kind of explores more and, you know, touches the elevator buttons and finds the key lock, uh, kind of then things that were suspicious to her, like the constant car alarm is because it's something that's played on a loop. And it, so it would, you know, happen every single time at the same time. My first initial suspicions that something were, was off was the way they introduced the caretaker. And that's, you know, not showing his face for a few seconds and then finally, like, revealing him. And like I said, I knew this guy from Under the Dome, and he played a really shit character in Under the Dome. Like, intentionally shit character. Like, that's how Stephen King wrote him in the book, and that's how his character is in the show. That I'm like, okay, is he? Am I gonna actually like him? You know, is he playing a good guy? Uh, but I don't like how they introduced him. And I also kind of thought he was the same person as the attendant at the hospital that was kind of like checking on her uh, before the doctor came in, like because they have similar similar hair, similar facial structure. So like I. I was like, well, wait a minute. Is this just the guy from the hospital? And now he's implanted himself in this situation. But obviously we find out that he has played everybody she's had interactions with since the attack, which is a really good long con. I mean, like, it takes a lot of work to create different voices and, and structures. And this is one thing we were talking about recording is, or uh, before recording, was... Um, the fact that she talked to her brother before going to this rehab apartment and whether or not she was actually talking to her, her brother. And if she wasn't, how was he able to manipulate his voice to sound like her brother? Cause that would take a lot of time, preparation, voice, audio files. Uh, you know, we know deep fakes exist. So maybe it could have been something like that where he was using a computer program and, you know, We've all kind of heard the Jordan Peterson Street Fighter uh, speech, so maybe it was something like that. Uh, I don't know. There, there, there are some questionable things about the different characters, uh, mainly like the detective being of a distinct race and ethnicity, like he's a white male and now he's putting on the voice of a black detective, that it's like... You have to be really convincing and really good to kind of... Well, to be fair, that's... I guess at that point, it's what she perceived as a person sounding like a black detective. Could be. Because it, it, she wouldn't know. It, it mean, it, honestly, we're, we're like... At least me, like, is thinking too much into that. But, like, it was just one thing that was sticking to me. Like, I, I can get all of the, maybe, the other male characters but just not necessarily the detective just didn't sell me. Um, but 
it was really still really well done. It was not something I was like actually thinking was going to happen. And like you said, the bruises on the neck, um, this gave him a good opportunity to be like, oh, there are no bruises there, you know, that because he's acting as the paramedic and saying, well, you know, you just try to cut your wrist. And that makes her then question her own reality. She can still feel the pain there, but she obviously can't see. So it's not like she can be like, no, there are freaking hand marks around my neck right now. (laughs) And when everyone else around you can see and they're all telling you, yeah, you just cut your wrist. And then obviously the detective saying, oh, your your caretaker spoke for you, so we won't send you in for evaluation. It's like, it's very convenient. But I do also want to talk about his motivation, uh, which is a little sympathetic um, in, in a sense. Like, don't get me wrong, he's a completely trash human being, but he went through, and I think this was a really interesting aspect to go through, was to humanize him to an extent, because he even gives her kind of clues. He gives her the Ray Bradbury short story about the kids who could wish anything up in their house and and kind of what happens after that, Uh, and then he talks about the bird cages his mother used to make, Uh, and then we find out later about his abusive father after the mother died, locked him up for years in a room and he had to kind of create his own worlds and his own friends and his own characters, which is to, you know, give the reasoning for why he's doing all these different voices. And his sister, uh, provided some music for him, which happened to be her music, uh, the main actress's music as a violinist. Uh, and that's where his obsession began. Like it was the one thing that kind of kept him, quote unquote saying while he was locked up. Uh, but then he took that fanaticism to an extreme um, when finding her out in the real world years later. Um, but ultimately like I, I, a lot of that was just like stuff I didn't see coming. It was stuff that I wouldn't necessarily have thought of. And I, it was really good. I think that's the, uh, the strongest point of this movie is the writing is really strong. The characterization is really strong. Um, the plot is very strong. Yeah. There's some chinks and some armors here and there, but no movie's ever going to be perfect on that. Um, but it, it definitely kept me enthralled. It kept me guessing. Uh, and I think if the chemistry between both the leads was convincing enough that also kept you captivated, I didn't really care for the sister and the weird subplot of, well, the abusive husband or whatever uh, that, you know, he was creating or what she was thinking was happening. Um, but their their chemistry together and the way they played off each other, mainly during the dinner scene where he's still thinking she's still living the stream world, like that he doesn't know she's come to the realization she's literally in a cage herself. Um, and that bird being representative of the movie, like being a songbird cat, you know, captured. So, see, I don't know if that was just him kind of being naive or because there's so many cameras around, Mm. like he clearly was watching the footage of everything that was after she jumped out the window. So he would have seen that. Not necessarily because he was actually out. Like, he was out and about because he was buying groceries. Yeah, but still, like, 
you would think that he would have a some sort of way to know that she jumped. I think I think he fell into some complacency because the relationship was developed. The relationship he wanted was developing. She was starting, especially when he kind of confessed his feelings towards her. Like, hey, I can't be your caretaker anymore because be a conflict of interest because I'm infatuated with you. And she kind of not <clears throat> rebuking him a, a little bit, you know, and actually kind of being like, no, let's, I still want you to be, you know, my helper and we'll figure this stuff, other stuff out. Um, so I think he fell into some complacency. Uh, I mean, it happens with serial killers. At, at some point they, it's, they get to a point where they want to be caught. So they deliberately or indeliberately, leave clues behind that lead to their eventual capture uh we were watching something kind of prior to this that was from seven with the head in the box like it's kevin spacey's character wanting brad pitt to shoot him you know for him to pay for his own sin of envy so it's kind of i think it's kind of something like that like i i would say if we had been given any type of scenes where he's obsessively watching the camera hours upon hours day in day out i would say okay yeah maybe but he's got padding out there so it's not like more of it soundproofing than anything but it's not like he would just assume she would just jump off smart thing you would do Mm -hmm. put like some chalk or something down on the in the on like the bottom part that way she would yeah. track it around, and he'd be able to notice that she would know. Right, and and then she did, and and then she did the deliberate thing of bringing the sister in and dropping the glass, and then pulling her down because she knew cameras were around. Um, so I think that he kind of just fell into that complacency. Things were going well for him. Uh, you know, there were some hiccups here and there, but overall, like he felt things were moving on a positive trajectory. That. It was just like, oh, I don't need to check those cameras all the time. And that ultimately becomes his folly. Yeah. And, I mean, the entire thing is based off of the trauma that he's inducing and mm. then kind of reinforcing. Right. It, it's it's uh, it's abused tend to, in some instances, become abusers. Mm. Uh, it, it is definitely that. He's a broken person. That's what I'm saying. Like, his plight, like, what he went through is sympathetic, but then... What he is doing, he's not sympathetic. Because, like, he's just replicating it. He's just trying to create this fake world. And Even this fake worse, he blinded her. With that, too. Uh, and and that's ultimately the, the final bit that I really like about this is... Because, you know, you get kind of the impression throughout most of the film that she's, like, she's not going to want to live. That she's not... She, she can't see. She doesn't want to know how to adapt. She doesn't want to know how to... Um, cope she doesn't want to move past it but then at the end of the film she goes out there to go and play in front of an audience and i think that that was a really cool way to end the film um but yeah it it was one that definitely caught me by surprise like i've said in the past few episodes sundays have kind of become my my movie day watch i think i've got triggered to watch later today and there was something that came on netflix i might watch that later um and they might end up being movies we cover next time. But, yeah, it, it was one that I watched in the afternoon and Sunday, and I was like, oh, wow, I really enjoyed this. I was really captivated by it. Uh, you know, I thought it was very well done and very well performed, shot, directed, acted, uh, written. 
produced. I mean, there was not much I really disliked about this film. Um, any other final thoughts for you? Uh, no, I think that about does it. Yeah. Uh, this will be a short one for, for you guys this week. Uh, although, if you want long episodes, go back and listen to the, at least the last one. That one was about two hours long, <laughs> talking about WandaVision. Um, so, we appreciate you guys uh, listening. We'll give our final scores here. Um, for me, I think I'm going to land on a four and a half. I mean, there really wasn't much I disliked about the movie. Four. Four for you? Four for me. Okay. okay. Mr. Contrary. Just the... Just like the little... It's little things. The little bit that it kind of gave me where I was kind of like, all right, but... Right. I wish I was guessing a little bit more. Okay. But overall... Yeah, it's still not still not bad. A four and a half and a four from us uh, here, guys. So definitely check it out. Streaming on Netflix if you don't want to pay any money for it. You can purchase it on Voodoo and Amazon if you're willing to pay money. Um, next week, we will have an episode out for uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Maybe we'll have a double episode uh, release. So we'll talk about Falcon and Winter Soldier, and we'll talk about Snyder Cut. Who knows? Uh, I know I got a four-day weekend, so I'm, I've got plenty of time. And uh, we, uh, if you're not following us, you can follow us on Twitter at CriticsNTCynics. We're posting on there less and less uh, just because Twitter can be really annoying, but we do post the new episode releases on there. Uh, with the Podbean link, and um, you know, try to kind of keep in touch with certain creators and, and filmmakers and fans. Um, and, but you can also follow us on Facebook at Critics Not Cynics Podcast. We love more interaction and more engagement over there, so that's kind of more the preferred platform. I know we don't post on there all that often either, but uh, you know, we if we get more engagement, we'll be more active on it. And I still got to talk to the person that's going to be our social media manager, uh, kind of the details on that. You can listen to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, Sound, or not SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Amazon Music, Audible, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to write in to the podcast, you can write into at critics, not cynics at gmail.com. Uh, I definitely need to get on there and look at screeners. I know I keep getting emails for screeners, and I keep ignoring them, uh, mainly because it's just hard to fit in movies when working, uh, you know, a full-time job outside the podcast. But uh, with that, we will talk to you guys next time.